and welcome to Positively Pro-Life podcast. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Remel Tenney, the Education Director at the Federation, and joining me as co-host today is Christopher Pushaw, our Executive Director. Our Legislative Director, Maria Gallagher, is on vacation this week, and Chris graciously stepped in to fill in for her. So welcome, Chris, to the podcast. Thank you, Ramo. I'm, I'm happy to uh, to pinch it again uh, and look forward to a good a good podcast today. Oh, yeah, me too. I'm really excited because this is close to home. Um, it's in our state, so I'm very excited mm-hmm. for what we have today. Um, but to start off uh, as introduction, I just want to share for decades that the pro-life movement has been engaged in a battle to make abortions unthinkable. But for that to happen, it is crucial that we reach out with the message of life to all, especially those engaged in the abortion culture itself. There are many pro-life organizations and groups that do outstanding work in this regard, some working as sidewalk counselors, others building movements for abortion workers to quit, and still others engaged in one-on-one dialogue on the streets to educate and change hearts and minds. But today, our interview is with a pro-life group with a unique and thoughtful approach of reaching those in their local abortion centers. But before we go into that, I just have a little inspiration to share. Uh, The past two weeks have been very exciting for me because uh, I have gotten to put up a pro-life educational exhibit at two events, two separate events, and I had the opportunity to have conversations and meet a lot of people. And um, one of the things that really uh, stuck with me is how how many people are involved in this movement, and how many people are are excited for us and are and are backing the pro life movement. How many people themselves are pro life, and they have such cool stories to share. So. Um, during my interactions, I came across people, women who, who walked up to uh, my table and said, I chose life for my child. Uh, mm-hmm. We received a life-limiting diagnosis for my baby many years ago, but guess what? I chose life, and now the child is 15, 16, 20 years, uh, and they've exceeded expectations, doctors' expectations. The doctor said maybe the child wouldn't be able to get up and walk, uh, will not be able to learn on their own, will not be able to speak. And I I got to see these young men and women, uh, some children, uh, a five-year-old child who had heart issues. And and to me, that was, that's telling a lot about our culture today, that there are people out there who are walking, talking, breathing, living, moving, because somebody chose life for them. Often their parents. Uh, some um, uh, one one woman came and shared with me how um, she was out. She was going into Planned Parenthood twenty years ago, and a sidewalk counselor just handed her a little fetal model of of a ten to twelve week old baby and said, "This is how old your baby is right now." She walked out of there, had her baby, gave her baby uh, to a loving family through adoption. But and then she went on to have more kids uh, in a in a uh, in her marriage. And she was saying she was saying that this works. You now the the work that people are doing works. 
So I just wanted to share that with you all. Um, if you're out there feeling discouraged, know that your work counts for something. And I also want to leave you with uh, something that I heard uh, another person share with me. We were talking about how many different people are involved. Because again, people just kept coming up and saying, oh, you know what? My friend works in a pregnancy resource center. I worked in a pregnancy resource centers a few years ago. Um, or my nephew runs a center for, uh, for women in crisis pregnancies. And now he's working, he's running for office. So so many stories of people who have been doing this work who are actively doing it right now. And um, so when we were discussing this, um, one man that I met was telling me, you know, there are more people doing this than the other side would like us to believe. Mm -hmm. And our message is not always the loudest, but know that there are more of us than you can see. And there are more of us than you would think or, or um, in the moment that you can can see at a time. So, um, so I just want to leave that um, little piece of encouragement. Um, I think I was very, uh, I'm very honored that I got to be in a position where I could hear these stories, where I could witness to, to the life that could have not, could have been aborted, but, uh, but now babies and kids um, that have had such rich, um, amazing lives because their parents chose life for them. So um, that's the little inspiration for this week. And with that, I want you to move on to um, today's topic, uh, today's conversation, uh, which is also an inspiration to us all. So today we're talking about the amazing work by a pro-life group called the McGee Project. The McGee Project is a campaign to encourage the restoration of the culture of life to McGee Women's Hospital with the first step of asking McGee to cease committing abortions. Now, how do they do that? Meredith Ferrante is here to answer that and more. So welcome, Meredith, to the show. Thank you, Ramel. I'm so blessed to be on the program again. It was a blessing in the past to be able to do this, and um, I I'm really appreciate the opportunity today. So you're not new, so welcome back. <laughs> That's what I should say. <laughs> Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, um, uh, but just to remind our listeners, what what is the McGee Project and what is your role there? Well, uh, as you said, we are working to get McGee Women's Hospital to stop doing abortions. They have been involved in abortion and ex fetal experimentation since the 1930s that we know of. Um, so a very long time. Um, but they are also a world-class, uh, have a world-class neonatal intensive care unit. They are a healing hospital, healing, helping with healing people from all kinds of cancers, um, joint replacements, bariatric surgery. They do just phenomenal things, but they kill children and they train abortionists and they collect baby body parts, uh, for macabre, um, research and experimentation. So we have been working since 2016. We started off uh, very much like the 40 Days for Life campaign, uh, signing people up to go and pray at McGee, uh, sign people up every day. Uh, so we have had people praying for many years um, for McGee. Uh, we had prayer events, prayer walks. Um, it, when uh, COVID uh, kind of 
made us make a shift. We opened up for people praying from anywhere instead of actually going to McGee to pray. And so we quadrupled the numbers of people that were praying for McGee. Um, Then we also started something called the Church at McGee. We meet once a month in a local park and uh, gather together to worship the Lord, have a prayer walk, um, have some testimonies from uh, women who have had abortions. And it's just been a powerful time. Uh, So that's that's basically what we're doing. We have recently been um, having people sign up to write to the board. So since April, they've gotten at least one letter a week from someone uh, sharing their testimonies or just uh, sharing why they think McGee should not be doing abortions. That's a very amazing, unique approach. Can I ask how did that come to be, um, just this idea to write to the board? (laughs) Um, Well, everything that happens is inspired. You know, I'm I'm no genius. Um, I'm not that talented, but when God tells you, well, you could do this or you could do that, which is a result of all these years of prayer. You know, as, as God keeps coming up with ideas of things that we can do to create a culture of life, not even just at McGee, but in our community. I think it's very interesting, too, that the same place that is um, working on saving lives or and conducting um, surgeries on babies before they're born or as uh-huh. after they're born, that they are capable of also kill, like taking those lives. Yes. So, um, what do you think about that? Well, we call it cognit- cognitive dissonance. It's saying on the one hand that we're all about improving life, but on the other hand, taking the lives of innocent babies. And it's a blindness. It's a spiritual blindness. You know, you cannot do that without being completely blind to what you're doing. Um, And I experienced that. I I grew up a feminist. I grew up believing that women had a right to an abortion. And uh, it was God who opened my eyes. When I met him in person, I instantly knew that if I was worth dying for, every human being was worth dying for. And so I flipped, you know, 100% just uh, instantly knew that abortion was wrong for any reason at any time. And what was your, if I may ask, Meredith, uh, I think you really, you've used some adjectives that I think hit the nail on the head, particularly with the fetal research. We are coming up on Halloween. The word macabre comes to mind. And to Remmel's point, um, how at the same time, the same institution can work so hard to preserve life. Just as a personal aside, I'm going to go to an outing Next Friday, my college roommate, I attended the Catholic University of America. He had two different children who needed uh, intensive neonatal surgery in the womb. One was born with a heart defect and one had a stroke in the womb. Mm-hmm. And to Remmel's earlier point about inspiration, you know, you both uh, both of his daughters, um, you know, the one just had a heart transplant. She's about 19. She needed a new heart. Um, but the proof is in the pudding when they come out and you see how full of life these children are. Um, they're not undifferentiated masses of tissue. They're not, they're not a choice. They're, they're a human being and they're an, ex- they're an existing human being. Uh, so I think just to have that sort of, no pun intended, kill switch <laughs> that we, at the same time, the same institution can go to great lengths to preserve life. 
or take it, uh, or you know what what I think is utterly beyond the pale uh, to do this type of experimentation, which is worthy of Joseph Mengele or Absolutely. Nazis. I mean, it, it's mm-hmm. just something that you, the cognitive dissonance is I was an English major. So I remember F. Scott Fitzgerald coined the term, but there's there's no other way to get behind something that abhorrent, particularly mm-hmm. when these people take a Hippocratic oath to preserve life and know they know differently. Um, I'm reminded of the story with with Ben Carson uh, was our banquet speaker last year. And I remember he told the story, I forget what the exact time frames were, but he was obviously a pediatric surgeon and he was able to save a preemie. Um, I think it was like at 24 or 25 weeks, but he had a colleague that did an abortion at like 30 weeks. So, and he kind of said it was the same same stage and it was later on in the pregnancy. So um, I think there's no other way to explain it, but it, but it is deeply troubling. Yes. Yes. Uh, Pittsburgh should be leading the country in fetal uh, surgeries, you know, while babies are still in the womb. We've we've had some of that done here, but that same doctor that has done some of that in in the womb surgery was asked, so what's the difference between the child that you operated on in the womb and one that's being aborted at the same age? And his response was, the one was wanted. Can you imagine if that was the standard that we used for anything other than life in the womb? How yeah. many of us would be gone? Or, the, or that life comes down to, you know, whether or not you deem it to be life. Uh, yes. We, it, it's really something that's scary. And we've known this in the pro-life movement for a long time. I just think it's, it's, I didn't realize that, that this, this experimentation has been going on since the thirties, but, um, but, but while we're on the subject, um, how it just for our own edification, how is the university of Pittsburgh connected to McGee? Well, that's kind of the mystery of the ages. They will tell you they're, they're not. Um, but I use the illustration of one of our abortionists in Pittsburgh. Beatrice Chen is the medical director at Planned Parenthood in Pittsburgh, Planned Parenthood of Southwestern Pennsylvania. She is also a professor at Pitt. Uh, She leads the reproductive uh, health uh, tract at Pitt. She is also an abortionist at McGee Women's Hospital. So she trains students from Pitt to do abortions at both Planned Parenthood and McGee Women's Hospital. She is also on the, um, on the, oh, now I'm not going to remember the name of the board that oversees experimentation at Pitt. Um, might be able to help me with the term I'm looking for. Um, so she is, she is a vice president of that board, which says whether it's appropriate or not, to do certain experiments. So they are so in bed with each other. And this woman is just an example of how much they interact. Uh, Pitt is where they, they have a tissue bank that accepts donations from McGee to the tissue bank of aborted children. So yeah, very much in bed with one another, even though they would tell you that they are, are two separate entities. 
Yeah, I mean, definitely a diabolical association. Um, mm -hmm. I'm dumbfounded there is a board. I assume it's under the internal AC. review board. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> Because I did, I did have an interest in bioethics as an undergrad and sort mm -hmm. of law school, and it, it, you know, how how that type of uh, experimentation or quote unquote research can be sanctioned consistently with medical ethics again is is just mind boggling, um, and I think to the it it is it is unfortunate. I mean, I run a nonprofit, and I'm I'm very cognizant of of institutional affiliation, formal, informal, and otherwise. But I think particularly in the case of a public university, to try to be that excessively cute that there isn't formal affiliation or the public doesn't have a right to know about what is going on um, while receiving public funding. I mean, I, I just mm -hmm. think, again, is just especially troubling. I mean, it'd be troubling if it was a private institution. Or charitable institution, um, but I think basically denying denying people the right to know um, it is is even worse because you you know some of me my instinct as an attorney is if you, if you're if you're being unnecessarily evasive the, the, the chances are you're hiding something mm -hmm. uh, or you don't want to fully disclose the relationship. Um, right. So I think that's how you know evil evil. Uh, works in the shadows, as they say. So, um, it's 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 not interesting. It's not it's not uncommon or surprising to hear about those affiliations. Yes, and and those connections, I'm sure, have an influence over the entire system there, uh, which is absolutely which is something that anyone who's who is able to see, uh, or with the information that you just gave us, is able to see. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, I want to ask you, what have you, so you've been sending uh, messages and have you had any responses uh, to the letters that you've sent? Interestingly, we haven't. Now, in the past, we've, we've met with the board every year for the last five years. Um, three of those years, they did not actually allow us to meet in person because of COVID. And they were actually um, cited by the Pennsylvania Health Department this spring for not having an open public meeting for the last three years. Um, but we have, have spoken to them. And when we've spoken, if we've written letters at, that the board read out loud when we weren't allowed at their meetings, uh, we have had a response. It was a canned response. You know, it was the same response to everyone that wrote. But interestingly, since we've started this writing letters uh, weekly, we've not had a single response. <laughs> So I'm not sure what that means. Um, they might be a little tiffed that they got uh, cited for not having their public meeting. I'm not sure, but they are having a public meeting this year. So um, it is virtual. So we will be uh, allowed to speak for three to five minutes. Anyone that's interested um, uh, and you can, you can see the meeting virtually, uh, but it won't actually be in person. So. And you plan on having an event that week, um, that day, in the evening. Yes. So can you tell us more about that? Yes. What can people do? How can they engage? Sure. So uh, October 9th is the public meeting, and it's at 4 o'clock. Uh, and some of us will be speaking, as I said, virtually at that meeting. 
Um, but then at 5.30 at the hospital, outside on the public sidewalk in front of the hospital, we'll be having a rally. We've done this uh, the last few years, um, especially with not being able to get into the meeting. We did this. Uh, so at 5.30, we'll have a rally out front. We'll have some worship music. We'll have uh, several speakers. And then it'll be followed by a prayer walk. So anyone that's interested can just show up at 5.30 on uh, October 9th. That's a Monday uh, late afternoon. Uh, if they're interested in speaking, they would want to get in touch with me at the McGee Project at gmail.com. That, that's, that's great. great. Yeah, we, uh, I think I'll, I'll, I'm actually going to be delivering remarks on behalf of the Federation at that public meeting virtually. So I'm, this is obviously very timely and auspicious that we have you in, in studio uh, today. And I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that the National Right to Life Convention was just in Pittsburgh. So certainly we really applaud your witness and, and organizing this rally because I think it's a fitting uh, you know, epilogue to, to the work we were doing in June. And certainly your witness is, is crucial. Um, uh, you know, to basically at least may draw the draw public awareness to to what's going on peacefully. Right. Our culture in Pittsburgh is a little different than what you've experienced, Remmel, at at the places that you've been. It's very antagonistic. So our city council um, has passed some some awful legislation against pregnancy care centers. Uh, we had the mayor. Uh, his announcement the day after Roe was overturned was that he wanted to make Pittsburgh a sanctuary city for abortion and said to, said to people, if you can't get an abortion in your state, come here. So it's, it's a very different culture here. And McGee is in the um, college area of Pittsburgh. So, um, you know, you just don't know quite what to expect. Uh, depending on how much the word gets out, we do expect to have counter protesters. We're not there to protest, uh, but we will have some people show up with uh, a differing opinion. I, I like to call it witness because I think that's yes. what you guys are doing is witnessing mm -hmm. the truth. And that's really what we're called to do. Yes. You either accept it or you don't accept it. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes I've been to enough marches for life and other and been outside enough Planned Parenthood centers to know when you're getting them really angry, you're getting through to them. So, mm -hmm. um, but again, I mean, we're, you know, I, I think, you know, peace is the way and, and being compassionate, but also, you know, witnessing to that truth that this is what's going on. This is what's going on in your state. Uh, right. I'm a Philly guy originally, so I am no stranger to sanctuary cities or mm -hmm. bizarre ordinances. Uh, yeah. I'm a very proud Philadelphian, but it's, it's interesting and sad that at the Kind of bookends that our state we have a climate i mean particularly in philly it was the birthplace of liberty we have a climate that's that inhospitable to life mm -hmm. uh, which is one of the core protections enshrined in our constitution um you know so again but all all we can do within that climate is is to witness and and um bring the truth to light so i, I think it is an encouraging start that the board is at least uh, allowing us to have a public meeting and to kind mm -hmm. of hear our questions and try to try to get a look under the hood uh, more uh, about those affiliations and about um, what the public has a right to know about. Mm -hmm. 
Yes, and I just want to remind our listeners that we have the information on our website. If you go to www.paprolife.org and go to our events page, you will find information uh, regarding and details regarding the rally on October 9th at the McGee Hospital, outside the McGee Hospital. So uh, please go on there if you're interested, if you're in that area, even if you want to travel across the state to, to talk about this, to witness to life and to... Uh, bring your point of view forward. Please do that. Um, and uh, I just also want to, I'm, I'm very much a story person. So I know that you uh, you shared a little bit about uh, your feminist days and, and how you mm -hmm. believed uh, abortion to be uh, a woman's right. So uh, could you just share a little bit about your story and when and how did you get involved in the pro-life movement? Okay, yeah. Um, in 1981, uh, we made friends with a couple who had come to West Virginia, where we were living at the time. Um, uh, they had come from Colorado, where they had established a National to Right to Life chapter. And so they wanted to do the same thing in West Virginia. So that was our introduction, was um, being involved with them in starting a National Right to Life chapter, uh, West Virginians for Life in uh, the county that we lived in in West Virginia. Um, and from there, we just uh, ended up in one place after another where we got more and more involved. Um, I was pregnant with uh, one of our children when I got an opportunity to uh, work with a pregnancy care center and um, felt that I needed to go to the place where they were killing children to offer help to women. So um, done that. Um, been a post-abortion uh, emergency call line um, volunteer, um, done operation rescue. Um, so I've done, if it's pro-life, I've pretty much done it. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been in the trenches with, the, with these women uh, for a little for while. really long time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, we, we really appreciate the work that you've done and that you are doing. Um, well, thank you. I know that... Um, a federation is coming out to support you. Like Chris mentioned, he will be there to to support you uh, to speak and testify uh, at the board meeting. Um, we will continue to pray and uh, campaign for this uh, from our end as well. So, thank you. I so appreciate that. You guys are great. Thank you, Meredith, for joining us. Thanks, Raul. Nice to meet you and you, Chris. Christopher, yeah, is, sorry. Okay, so, no, Chris is fine. My, my mother <laughs> called me Christopher when I was in trouble. Uh, ah. but yeah, but we uh, we really appreciate uh, your your witness today and and being here with us again. It it this seems to be ramping up in importance, and uh, I know it it really helps our listeners and especially those who are who might be locally based in, in yes. that corner of Pennsylvania. Uh, we have thank been you. speaking with Meredith from the McGee Project. Thank you for joining us for the program today. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life. See you.